Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. When we invite God into our world, he walks in. He brings a host of gifts, joy, patience, resilience. Anxieties come, but they don't stick. Fears surface and then depart. Regrets land on the windshield, but then comes the wiper of prayer. There's still stones of guilt, but we turn and we give them to Christ. We are wired with energy. We are happier, healthier, and more hopeful than we have ever been. Struggles come, for sure, but so does God. Prayer is not a privilege for the pious, not the art of a chosen few. Prayer is simply a heartfelt conversation between God and his children. He wants to talk with you. We meet now in the Archbishop's Corner, where Archbishop Leonard Blair helps us enter into that conversation with God as we search out the truth and we find the right way to faith. So thank you, Archbishop, for sharing some time with us in the Archbishop's Corner. How are you today? Anything special going on? No, I wouldn't say so, except that, uh, you know, the as the school year begins, so does the what I call the church year. Uh, mm-hmm. I know liturgically it doesn't begin till the first Sunday of Advent, but when it comes to uh, the life of the diocese and the business of parishes and the archdiocese, uh, things are pretty quiet in July and August, and now they're picking up again. By presidential proclamation, today starts the three days designated as National Days of Prayer and Remembrance. And during this time, the people of the United States honor and remember the victims of September 11th of 2001 and their loved ones through prayer, contemplation, memorial services, the visiting of memorials, the ringing of bells, evening candlelight remembrance vigils, and other appropriate ceremonies, activities. Is is there anything officially planned in the Archdiocese of Hartford to commemorate this observation? No, I don't believe so, other than uh, reminding people that uh, it is a time, should be a time of prayer and remembrance. And I'm sure the parishes this weekend and, and perhaps next We'll be remembering the occurrence of September 11, 2001, and the people who died, the victims, and for greater peace in our society today as well. Yeah, since becoming Archbishop of Hartford and living in closer proximity to New York City, I have been there, and I did uh, visit the fountains, you know, the footprints of the the World Trade Center Mm -hmm. buildings. Went to the top of the new... Uh, World Trade Center, which is really very tall. It's quite an astounding view from the top. But I couldn't bring myself to go into the museum yet. I, uh, for all of us, it's a very difficult thing, yeah. I think. Yeah, absolutely. This Wednesday marks the 18 years since the attack on America. 3,000 innocent people passed away. September 11th is also known as Patriot Day and National Day of Service, which calls on Americans to participate in community service to honor those that we lost. So on the anniversary of the attack, people of all faiths join together in prayer for healing, for hope, for understanding. Any thoughts that you may have as our country remembers this infamous day in our history? Well, only first I would add that, you know, again, I'm I'm always uh, reminding people of this, that for our Catholic faith, it is also praying for the repose of the soul of those who have died. You know, not just a moment of silence not just a kind of secular remembrance, as important as that is, but praying the spiritual work of mercy, praying for the souls of the dead, 
uh, for, for the repose of their soul. I think that's a very important thing. So I would hope that um, masses would be offered for that intention and people pray for that intention. And of course, uh, the 9-11 horror is really kind of uh, emblematic of the violence uh, that marks our world and the hatred and conflict that scourges so many peoples in so many places. We experienced it very tragically that day in a horrific way. But when you think in the aftermath of all the wars and all the people who've been killed in the service of our country abroad uh, and those who have come home but have been deeply troubled or or uh, wounded, uh, and, and then you think too that as serious and, and widespread as that is, uh, compared to some places in the world, uh, they have it even worse, where uh, terrorism is a daily, practically a daily occurrence mm -hmm. uh, in the Middle East. And well, you could go on and on. You don't think of the the Christian communities from ancient times that have almost been wiped out in some places in the Middle East, where the people have to be afraid to just go and do their business out in the street, uh, their ordinary affairs, because they could get killed. So. Yeah, it is a troubled and violent world we live in, a sinful world, and uh, we have to work and pray uh, for peace, beginning with ourselves and our own country and our own communities. Saturday, September 14th, we observe the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. And this feast celebrates two historical events, the discovery of the true cross by St. Helena in the year 320 under the Temple of Venus in Jerusalem, and the dedication in 335 of the basilica and the shrine built on Calvary by Constantine, which marked the site of the crucifixion. Now, the, the entrance antiphon for the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross is this, Archbishop. We should glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he is our salvation, our life, and our resurrection. Through him we are saved and made free. Can you talk about what this means to glory in the cross of our Lord? Well, it is uh, very profoundly reflected in the Gospel of John that, uh, you know, we think of the cross as being uh, the great, uh, how should we say, the great shame and the and Easter Sunday being the glory. But in the Gospel of John, uh, an emphasis is given to, to, to Christ being lifted up on the cross as being a moment of glory uh, because it is, that is part of the conquest of sin and death not just uh, Easter, but even the cross itself, uh, because Christ embraced it uh, with complete uh, love uh, and complete uh, trust in God, complete abandonment to God, that that already is the part of the great unfolding of the glory, of the mystery of glory. So the exaltation of the cross kind of uh, suggests that, you know, that the cross, which was a horrible object of shame and cruelty and death became the instrument, becomes the instrument of life and salvation and glory. And another thing too I might mention, you said about, you know, the finding by St. Helen of the True Cross. Yeah. You know, sometimes it sounds a bit um, uh, fanciful that after all those early centuries that somehow she could stumble upon uh, uh, the, the True Cross. But I read a very interesting book by a German scholar once who uh, uses the sources, and I don't have time or I don't even remember well enough to, to, to elaborate on this, but just to say that uh, when you read uh, on the basis of the ancient sources and the circumstances and what happened in Jerusalem, it's not far-fetched uh, to, to believe that it is plausible 
that uh, that this could very well uh, have happened, as the tradition says, and that what we venerate as a uh, piece of the uh, pieces of the true cross uh, it could very well be authentic, and the church has always treated them as so. Uh, you know, the cross I wear around my neck as a bishop is a reliquary cross. When I was made uh, a bishop, uh, some of my priest friends in Rome requested, and because a bishop will be can be given a, a, a tiny uh, sliver uh, from the ancient relic from St. Helen that's at the Vatican uh, to put in a reliquary cross, and that's what I wear. So, um, you know, I have every reason to uh, believe reasonably that uh, I have a, a, a very small little sliver, if you will, uh, of the of the cross of Christ that I carry as a bishop. That's probably something that most people didn't realize, and I would tend to believe that a lot of people will be asking you to see that reliquary cross that you have. Well, what you see, of course, is my is the gold cross that I'm wearing, but in the back of it, there's a little disc, and behind that disc uh, is where that relic is, so you can't actually see it. But it's it's uh, it's uh, put in in there, uh, you know. Sometimes when I go to grade schools, kids think that the bishop has got a clock at the end of his chain in his pocket, uh-huh. <laughs> but it's not a clock. It's a cross, reliquary cross. Well, let's take a look now at the road to happiness in life, and this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis that is drawn from some of the Pope's writings. And I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's address. We'll ask you, Archbishop, to comment with your own thoughts on what Pope Francis has said. And this is taken from Pope Francis's address delivered on October 26th of 2013, and it's called, Come to Me, You Who Are Tired. And the Pope says, As Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Life is often tiring and often tragically so. Work is exhausting. Looking for work is exhausting. Even finding work today requires so much effort. But what is most burdensome in life, what drags us down most, is the absence of love. It weighs on us if we never receive a smile, if we never receive a warm welcome. Certain silences weigh on us, like those in families, between husbands and wives, between parents and children, among siblings. Without love, our exhaustion becomes even heavier. It becomes intolerable. I think of elderly people living home and families who receive no help in caring for someone at home with special needs. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, Jesus says. Archbishop, your thoughts. Well, I do think, and the Pope seems to be suggesting this, that even the tiring things of life, the exhausting things, the burdensome things of life, are made lighter uh, by love. Mm. Uh, That if we, first of all, if we do them with love, uh, we we find... uh, refreshment and we find it a lightening of the burden and if we are assisted uh, by the love of others uh, toward us uh, then that also uh, serves to lighten our burdens so again we come to that uh, fundamental truth of the gospel fundamental teaching of Christ that it, that that love makes all the difference uh, even in the things uh, that are crosses in this world well, this Pope is, is right on target. Without love, our exhaustion becomes even heavier. Well, it even becomes intolerable. Yeah. How true that is. Well, we've got several questions that have been submitted by our WJMJ listeners, but before we get to those questions, let's look at our Gospel for today on this 23rd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Today's reading is from Luke's Gospel, the 14th chapter, once again. 
And after the gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you, Archbishop, and ask for your thoughts on what the gospel means. Now great multitudes accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and take counsel whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends an embassy and asks terms of peace. So therefore, whoever of you does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Archbishop, the Pope, as we just heard, quotes Jesus saying, come to me. Now, the Gospel of Luke quotes Jesus saying, come to me, but first, hate your father and mother, wife and children. Where are we here? Well, this is the startling kind of language that Jesus uses to make a uh, extremely important point. Uh, you know, I've often said that people often today look for the good and gentle Jesus who doesn't demand much and who's kind of, you know, the, the good shepherd who uh, says nice things and, and calls them to a kind of piety. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that's not true, and I'm not saying that, that uh, those things aren't good. But Jesus, uh, if you look at the gospel, is much more uh, radical than that. And Jesus is really trying to get their attention because, you know, the first line says, great crowds were traveling with Jesus. Now, what does that tell you? Great crowds means all kinds of people. Some who were looking for another miracle of bread, those who are looking for cures, those who are looking for something uh, to get out of this, uh, and maybe just wondering what's going to happen to this guy, Jesus. And that's when he turns around on them and says, if anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life cannot be my disciple. And I think, you know, the same is true today. A lot of people talk about Jesus. A lot of people uh, profess to be Christian. And a lot of people look to religion for any number of things. But the radical truth is that you have to really follow Christ in what he teaches and and. You have to follow him all the way to Calvary in order to really be his disciple. So Jesus is saying that, is he saying literally that you should hate your, your parents and your family? No. He's saying, though, that you have to situate your love for them in a much, how should we say, a, a great, even a greater love. Uh, and the greater love is that what we should have for him as the Son of God. And uh, so that's a very demanding, uh, attention-getting statement of Jesus. And of course, the next part is saying it in a, in a similar way, that if you don't carry your cross, 
you can't be his disciple. Remember the cross being an instrument of a horrific torture and death. Uh, you know, we have our nice crucifixes done by great artists hanging on the wall. Mm -hmm. But the brutality, it, most people would find it very hard to even look on a person being crucified, a real person on a real cross. This uh, horrific instrument of, of torture and death. And uh, Jesus says, that's what you have to be willing to accept in order to be my disciple. Now, when we look at the whole gospel, we look at all that happened. We understand this. This is that how this is all in a much higher realm and context of uh, salvation, of redemption, of love, of uh, of resurrection. But Jesus is giving us a very sobering reality check here about what uh, faith means. Faith means conversion. It doesn't mean just nice feelings and or being nice. It means uh, more than that. It means striving every day to be converted and to give ourselves completely to God in Christ. Can you explain the difference, though? I mean, most of us are carrying crosses of some kind or other. There are enough crosses in this world to go around several times over. So many of us are carrying several crosses. But it's not just carrying the cross. It's, it's what you do with the cross, isn't it? I mean, and the, the attitude that you might have in carrying that cross that counts because well, yes, there are some Christ. people, I mean, uh, there, uh, there are those people that, that don't believe in God who have crosses to bear. Whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, you can still get cancer. You can still suffer uh, a breakdown of a, re a relationship, a breakdown of a marriage. You can still be a victim of some type of illness. So it's not just carrying the cross, but there's got to be a difference there. What is that difference in carrying the cross that Jesus is talking about? Well, I think the difference is, is if your horizon is the horizon of eternity— and uh, eternity by eternity, I mean the providence and the reality and the providence of God by which uh, this mysterious, uh, good and beautiful world and life, even though it's marred by sin, came into existence. Uh, if there is this loving, uh, all providential being of God from whom we came and to whom we're going, well, then that can transfigure mysteriously uh, in uh, all these negative experiences that we have. And the whole uh, uh, Bible revelation from Genesis, from Adam and Eve in the garden, to the resurrection of Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit are meant to be a truthful explanation of how we came to be where we're at and how we are and where we are meant to go. And then there's the clincher of it all, as Jesus says, anyone who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Tell me, Archbishop, does that really mean renouncing all your possessions, giving all your possessions away? No, I don't know. It doesn't mean that. It's never been interpreted to mean that. Renouncing them doesn't necessarily mean giving them away. It means not being possessed by them uh, and being generous with what we have. I mean... Jesus says, renounce all your possessions. Well, that doesn't mean that, you know, tonight you have to sleep uh, uh, with a towel around you on the dirt because you have to give away all your possessions. But to renounce them means that uh, you will live a life from the perspective of detachment and generosity. Okay. Well, let's take a look now at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. For instance, Charlie from Milford says... From your experience, 
Is the Catholic Church playing a greater or smaller role in local people's lives? Why? Mm. Well, Charlie, that's a hard one to answer. If you look at human history from the time of Christ through the centuries, you know, the history of the church, of the spread of Christianity and the practice of the faith is a tremendous uh, spectrum of things. And again, only God uh, in his providence can judge souls and and in and, and given situations to truly give a just judgment about what has happened. But I would say this, that today, to the extent that people in their membership in the church are faithful to the sacraments and to prayer and to the teaching of the church, uh, they are, the church is playing a greater role in their lives. And to the extent that today people claim to be Catholic or Christian in other churches, but they don't really practice or they feel perfectly free to disregard uh, church teaching about fundamental things, then the church is playing a much smaller role, if any real significant role at all. And of course, I'm sorry to say that uh, in the world today, it, at least in the Western world, uh, it would seem uh, very clear that the church uh, has less and less and less of a role in, in shaping the culture and in uh, having a real uh, serious impact on, on, on society and how people live. Um, but we, it's our duty to be faithful. Who knows what these times mean? There have been all kinds of eras since the time of Christ when things have been, uh, well, very different from one age to the next. And uh, we just have to keep being faithful to our mission. Rose from Guilford says, my friend has completely set aside her religion. She says she believes in God, but not like she once did before a series of difficult situations happened. How can someone who once believed in God suddenly say they do, but not as much? How can I help her find him again? Well, Rose, the certainty of faith and the certainty of the truth of faith and of the Catholic faith in particular, what the Church believes and teaches, can be put, inevitably is put to the test for all of us in some fashion. And perhaps with your friend, it's been particularly traumatic. I don't know what exactly would make her uh, question uh, faith or be weaker in her faith or try to re re redefine it because of her experiences. But I think uh, the only way you can help her is to be a model of faith yourself, to try to address uh, in a faithful way any questions that she may ask you or pose to you about the faith. That's why it's important for you to be uh, well uh, instructed, not just in something from a book, but in your own knowledge and experience of, of the faith and the gospel, and, um, and to pray for her, you know, that uh, she can find her way again back to uh, faith, uh, in, in, in the fullness of faith in the church and in Christ. Rose mentions, Archbishop, that there are a series of difficult situations that happened to this friend of hers. Some of these situations that life presents to us can have a positive effect on somebody, drawing them closer to God, whereas another person, the same set of circumstances or situations can happen to that person and draw them completely from God. How is that? Well, that's the, the reality of human freedom, you know, that I can have a serious illness and I can commend myself to God and I can be strengthened in my faith. Well, I, you know, or, or I, can, I should say I can meet that great personal challenge with faith. 
and other people uh, they this just somehow destroys whatever faith they have they just can't you know see it from that point of view I mean that's a great mystery within a person uh, and we have to believe that God gives us the grace but we have the freedom to accept or reject it and if people do reject it uh, at the same time we, we we keep praying for them that the grace of God can always bring about uh, you know some uh, conversion and return well is it true or not true that we can prepare ourselves for difficult situations that will present themselves to us through prayer and by becoming closer to God opening up the lines of communications to God through prayer then can help us be more positive during those cross-bearing times that we have well certainly life is about making choices about decisions and uh, you know if we fortify ourselves with uh, faith and prayer and in living in communion with God uh, striving to love God more and to understand more then when the crosses and hardships come hopefully we've steeled our well I say that God has steeled our, us through our desire for it uh, to remain strong in faith and sometimes people go through difficult periods where maybe they you know what's that prayer Lord of the in the gospel Lord I believe help my unbelief mm-hmm. the father who wants his son healed you know Lord I believe help my unbelief sometimes maybe that's the only prayer that a person can offer but that is a prayer too Emma from Branford has an interesting question. During a discussion at work regarding the awful things that we have all heard on the news in the last month, the church's stance on the death penalty was brought up. The majority of us were under the impression the Catholic Church states the death penalty is permissible in certain cases, but one co-worker said that stance has changed. What is the church's current position on the death penalty? Yes, well, Emma, it's basically this that the death penalty is not intrinsically evil. That is to say, that something that's intrinsically evil means that it can never, ever be uh, administered or performed under any circumstance. So, for example, we would say that uh, an abortion is intrinsic, an intrinsic evil in, in the sense that it is never permitted to take the uh, life of an innocent, unborn human being. Now. You know, this gets a little bit complicated if, for example, there's a medical crisis in which the life of the mother is threatened by the pregnancy, then other factors can come in that may or may not change the outcome of that moral decision. But uh, that's intrinsically evil. But the church is always taught that to protect society from uh, crime, uh, from the imminent threat of crime by by someone, it, it it, it is possible to administer the death penalty. However, what recent popes have said, and I think this is not just them speaking on their own, but it's part of a consensus, and, is that in a modern society that we have, where we have other ways of protecting society from a criminal, like incarceration, then it, that renders the administration of the death penalty unnecessary. So I, I, that that is what the church is saying, that if you can protect society by not putting a person to death through capital punishment, then you should protect society that other way. And I think that causes some confusion with people. You know, and even quite apart from the religious argument, I think there are many people that have made a very cogent argument that the death penalty is a tremendously uh, expensive, burdensome thing on society that is not necessary to, to protect us. Well, I hope that really answers your question of, of, of what the, the church has to say about that today. 
Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please? Lord, we've had many questions today from our listeners about people whose faith has been weakened or tested, sorely tried by the circumstances of their life and who now question their faith. And we pray, Lord, for a great strengthening of faith, especially in our Archdiocese of Hartford, that those who are brought into anguish by temptation or suffering may not lose heart, but may be given the grace of a deeper faith and greater trust in you, and may find an answer to their questions and their sorrows in your great providence revealed fully in the suffering death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next week. We'll be on the air at 7 o'clock on Sunday with a repeat at 1130. Until then, we hope you have a wonderful week. You too. Thank you. Thank you.